This is the Emmanuel Message Podcast. For more information on Emmanuel, check us out online at kenosha.church. Followers of Christ have been entrusted with the Word of God. What happens when we neglect to live out what God has given us? Today, Andy will discuss how often we resort to blaming others and God instead of moving forward in His will. Enjoy the message. Well, Manuel, it is good to be back again this Sunday. And by the way, I didn't introduce myself. If I, for those of you that are new this week, I'm Andy. I'm the pastor here at Emanuel Kenosha Church. And again, we are in this season, this hybrid season, uh, one church in many locations. Our physical location here at Pershing and 60th, but all across the homes in Kenosha County, Lake County, Racine County. Again, it's so good to have you with us this week and live. And so uh, we are continuing our series in Empires, Volume 1. It's a study in the book of Romans. And today's message is entitled Entrusted. We're going to be in Romans chapter 3, and so if you have your Bibles uh, or your Bible app, I encourage you to follow along uh, in a physical Bible because we're going to be referencing the text a lot today. If you're our guest today, the words, of course, are on the screen. Uh, You know, the book of Romans was, again, written by the Apostle Paul, and the Roman church, unlike many of the other churches in the New Testament, was not planted by Paul. This church um, we don't know who planted it. Many people believe that it was uh, uh, Christians that were in Jerusalem that were dispersed after a great persecution. They founded the church in Rome. Paul writes in many of his letters that he has a desire to go to Rome, and he had been prevented to, at this point, he had not met them in person. So now he's writing the Church of Rome a letter uh, to make sure that they understand the faith and understand the clarity of the gospel. And we can take heed as a church today to understand that we know the depths of the faith and that our gospel is is clear. And you know, it's a big indictment, I would say, even on many evangelical churches uh, today, is that there is not a, a understanding of the scripture or our gospel is muddy. And so reading the book of Romans, studying the book of Romans, not only will we be blessed, I guarantee we will grow. And as I've mentioned weeks prior, it is many of the revivals that have broken out started with the studying of Romans. That's not exactly why we're doing it, but hey, I'm not praying against that. I want a revival to break out, right, church? We need revival in our country right now, right? And so uh, we're going to begin today reading a verse that we've read almost every week, and it's the main idea of the book of Romans. It's Romans 1.16. Let me read it for you. It's, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then the Gentile. And so it's really key that we understand this verse. This sets the foundation for everything that we read, that we've read, and that we will read today, and that we'll read in the weeks to come. But this foundational verse explains that Paul is not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's not ashamed of Jesus. He's not ashamed of his message. He will share it to anyone, anywhere. You see, to be not ashamed means that you're proud of the gospel, uh, in fact, uh, how many of you had a, a parent when, uh, and they wore a button of your face, okay? Uh, some of you are smiling. I, some of you, I don't, I don't think parents do this anymore, so I'll explain what it is. It's when I was in sports or even when I was in band, that was really embarrassing. Uh, my parents would always get this button with my picture and they'd wear it on their coat and they would show everybody. And in fact, when my brother and sister, they were in sports, their whole coat was filled with our faces. And it was really embarrassing because when we were in the grocery store, even though we were standing with them in line, they'd point to their button and they'd start talking to strangers. Look, these are our kids. And I'm thinking, oh man, just take me away from here. But they were so proud they would wear this button. And I don't think people do that anymore. Am I right? Do people wear the buttons anymore? 
I, I, I didn't think so, all right? But listen, if somebody was going to wear a button, it was going to be Paul. If they made a button to Jesus and they made a button explaining the gospel, he would wear it all over his robes and tunics. That's what I'm saying, all right? He was so proud of the gospel. He is proud of who Jesus Christ is. Now listen, we don't want to m- mistaken him being proud of the gospel and not being ashamed of the gospel with self-pride. You see, you can know the gospel, you can know the word of God, and you can take pride in what you know, and you can feel really good about yourself. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is, is that he's going to boast in the Lord. If we're going to be proud about something, if we're going to boast about something, Paul gives us carp launch to be proud in Jesus Christ, giving him maximum glory. Jesus deserves our glory. He deserve, or deserves us giving glory to him. Jesus, des- Jesus deserves to be made famous. And it is our job. It is our honor. It is our duty to make much of Jesus. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying I am not ashamed of the gospel. Listen, if you are, if you are proud about something or if, you, if you're all about something, you know what you do? You talk about that something. You're, you, you will make sure that people know what you are all about, right? If, if you're about something, you're gonna sell that something. You know, people don't wanna be that shady salesman. Like, I just don't wanna, you know, just talk about Jesus too much because I don't want people thinking I'm selling something. I'm like, why? Like, if it's the most important thing in the world, and we're not to be ashamed of it, listen, we should be selling the message of Jesus, but here's the price tag. It's free, right? It's free. We just sang about, it's free. Amen? And the thing is, Paul wants us to not be ashamed. We need to talk about it. And why should we talk about it? Well, this is what he, why we should talk about it. He lays it out in chapter one and chapter two, the book of Romans. In fact, chapter one and chapter two that we uh, just studied, and again, if this is your first week, you can find the previous messages on Kenosha.church. But chapter one, chapter two, it's like Paul put on the suit, coat, and tie. And it's like uh, he went to a courtroom and he wanted to lay out the case why we need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul shows vividly our sin problem, and he wants us to know why we have a problem. Because without knowing that we have a sin problem, if someone comes up to you and says, you need Jesus, you're gonna say, why? Right? I mean, I've, I've had that experience where, especially earlier when I was in Bible college, like, I'd go up to somebody and say, hey, I just wanna talk to you why, uh, just about salvation in Jesus Christ. And they'd be like, saved from what? I don't need saved from anything. Sin, well, that's not that big of a deal, right? And what, why, why should they think they need saved from anything, a person that doesn't know Christ? Why should a person that doesn't know Christ think that sin's a big deal, right? And that's what Paul's doing. He's like, okay, I understand you don't think this is a big deal. I understand why you think you don't need saved by Jesus. So I'm gonna explain why that's the case. I'm gonna explain the depths of our depravity and why we need Jesus. So chapter one, Paul spoke to the depth of need of Christ for those that were Uh, immoral and irreligious. And then chapter two, he talked about how the religious, specifically the chosen people of God, the Jewish people, they too needed salvation. So chapter three, we arrive, this is a courtroom, Paul laid his case out. Chapter three is where you hear, objection, your honor. I can imagine, especially the religious people, they'd say, objection, your honor, what he's saying isn't true. But there's also an, an objection, your honor, from the church. So Paul lays out chapter three with a number of hypothetical questions that he knows the church is gonna hear or they're gonna think themselves. So let's take a look, Romans chapter three, verse one. Let's read through the passage and then we're gonna unpack it. Romans chapter three, verse one. What advantage then is there in being a Jew? What value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the very words of God. What if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. 
Let God be true and every human be a liar as it's written so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing in us in our wrath on us? I'm using a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, well, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases the glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result? Their condemnation is just. Now I got a question before we unpack that passage. How many of you in this room would you say you are a punctual person? All right, you're on time, all right? Raise your hand high, all right? This is where it's participatory here, all right? So if you're raising your hand, you're an on-time person. If you're not raising your hand, you are always late, all right? I'm putting my hand down because I'm, I'm not a punctual person, right? Now, here's the deal. If you are married or next to a friend or whatever, and they have their hand up and they're not punctual, just kind of give them a nudge, all right? A social distance nudge, like you are not telling the truth, all right? Just call them out right now. You know, in complete honesty and transparency, I've always struggled with being on time. I've mentioned this before. I'm always too optimistic of what I can shove into one hour. I'm always optimistic I have another five minutes. So, you know, when you're talking to me after church, just assume I'm really late somewhere, but that's okay because I want to talk to you, all right? So don't, don't, don't end the conversation. It's up to me to end the conversation. I just know that I'm probably going to get in trouble. So, but... I digress. By the way, I married the most punctual lady on the planet, all right? It, opposites do attract. Uh, but, you know, there is an area, though, where I am very punctual, very punctual, and it's when I fly, all right? When I fly, I make sure that I'm three hours uh, before my time internationally, an hour and a half uh, domestically, and also I have TSA pre-checked so I can go around that line. I do not want to be late, and some of you have driven me to the airport before. You, it's the most nervous you ever see me. I'm like, I'm going to miss my flight. I'm going to miss my flight. No, it's like in four hours. I know. I don't want to miss it. And so if you, if you fly with me, you think that somebody has totally possessed my body. That's not Andy McGowan, all right? You're like, what happened to you? You're on time. And so I had the opportunity to fly uh, to Italy to meet one of our, uh, our ministry partners, Stefano Lugo, um, and he is, uh, uh, we were putting on a conference, and so I was able to bring Allison. Allison oftentimes doesn't get to travel with me uh, when, I, when I speak at different conferences. And, uh, um, and so we had a layover in London. And I said, Allison, I've been to London before. Um, what would you like to do in London? And without hesitation, she goes, I want to go to Liberty of London. I'm like, what is Liberty of London? Like, isn't Liberty some American thing, right? She goes, no, it is a world-renowned fabric shop known for their floral prints. And I thought, all right, London, <laughs> you know, right? But of course, I'm going to get some husband points. And so I'm like, all right, we'll go. And so I figured it out. It's like, okay, we have, an, we have, a, six, we have, a, we have a long layover in, uh, in London. And so we'll do an hour on the tube, an hour at the tube's the subway, an hour uh, at Liberty of London, an hour back, and then we'll have enough time to eat a really good British lunch, all right? And good British lunch, Simon, I'm sorry. But anyway, so... Um, and so we went on the tube. We went to Liberty of London. I got my husband points. I got back. We had a great lunch. And I'm, I am like confident. I'm like, man, I pulled this off. Like I'm showing my wife, I can be punctual. I can, I got the time figured out. And you know what I did? I got a little pompous. I started puffing my chest up a little bit. And I said, honey, before the flight goes out, I'm going to take a little nap. Oh, don't do that if you're jet lagged. Okay. And she trusting me, she's entrusted me to get on the next plane. She let me take the nap. And so I slouched back in the chair, as you only can do in an airport terminal, and I fell asleep. And now normally I don't feel, fall asleep well at all in public, but I went into a deep, deep sleep. 
And when I woke up, I rubbed my eyes and I said, wow, I feel really refreshed. What time is it? (laughs) And I looked at the board and I no longer saw our flight. So I went up to the counter and I said, hey, I think the flight goes off in 45 minutes. And they said, no, you need to check your watch. The flight left 45 minutes ago. Now, of course, I'm full of pride when it comes to my on time with flights. And there's no way I'm going to strand my wife and I some in Europe on our way to another city. And so I said, no, that's, that's not the case. And so I went to the ticket counter and I started arguing why the plane didn't take off. That's ridiculous, isn't it? But I'm arguing that they are wrong. And Allison is realizing if I don't be quiet, we are going to be stuck in London for a long time and we're not going to be able to get to where we need to get going. And so she grabs me by the arm. And only in what Allison can do is she persuades them to get on the next flight. And they did. The moral of the story is this. What I should have been entrusted with, I failed miserably at. And I'm sure, honey, you're not going to let me take a nap on a layover again, right? But the thing is this. We are entrusted with a number of things, uh, whether it's uh, whether we're a student and uh, we're entrusted with good grades or we're, uh, we're entrusted at our job to be a good employee, we're entrusted in our relationship, uh, whether it be our marriage relationship, we're entrusted with parenting our kids, we're entrusted with a number of things. But every single person, no matter what stage of life that you're in, you are entrusted with your spiritual life. Whether you consider yourself a Christ follower or not, uh, you are entrusted with knowing God. And if you're a Christ follower this morning, not only are you entrusted with your relationship with God, but you are entrusted with knowing God, knowing his word and and being a, a student, but also a follower and obedient to his word. And so when we stand before God, this is the question I have this morning is, will you be found faithful? Will you be found faithful or you be like me in Heathrow Airport just sleeping away, right? And then you realize, whoa, something bad just happened. Will you be found faithful? So let's go back to verse one. Now, the hypothetical questions that Paul is giving, this is a hypothetical question from a Jewish religious person that's saying objection. Verse one, they are asking, what advantage, if my religion doesn't you know, matter, what advantage is there in being a Jew then? I thought we were God's chosen people. Or what value is there in circumcision? Paul's response, much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been, here it is, let's say it together, entrusted with the very words of God. So Paul, being wise, knew there'd be objections to the teaching that everyone was in need of a savior, especially from the religious folks, begins to rapid fire questions that he knows the church is gonna hear and he wants them to be equipped so they can answer. And so this first question, what advantage is there being a Jew? This is what they're saying. So Paul, you're, you're telling me, we the chosen people of God. Paul, you're telling me that none of that mattered? Are you saying that Abraham didn't matter? Are you saying that Moses didn't matter? Are you saying the Old Testament didn't matter? Are you saying everything before Christ was just a big waste of time? Paul's response was, no, that's not what I'm saying. The Jewish people had great advantage. What he said in the previous chapters is that just being a Jewish person, knowing the law and being circumcised, it doesn't save you. But even though it doesn't make you better, you're still at an advantage. Why? Now, he could have listed 25 reasons why, but he wanted to go for the jug. He wanted to go for the jugular. It is that you've been entrusted with the very words of God. The very words that allowed you to know the will of God. The very words that allowed you to anticipate a Messiah. But you 
didn't heed these words, and you crucified the Messiah. You see, for the Jewish person, it was the highest privilege to be the stewards of the Word of God, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. But God warned through many prophets, specifically even through Amos, that there would be great spiritual famine if we are not connected to the revelation of God. Amos 8.11 says this, The days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or thirst of water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. You see, we will experience a spiritual famine if we are not connected to the word of God. We will have a spiritual famine. Why? Because we won't know the word, we won't know the will of God in our life. Uh, we, we won't be able to hear the voice of God in our life. I mean, he's speaking to us. But listen, if, if you're not tethered to the word of God, you don't know what you're listening to. And so a great spiritual famine is when we're not connected to the word of God. The Jewish people were entrusted. And likewise, Christians, you know what? You are entrusted with even more. Because you don't have just one testament, you have two. You have the old and you have the new testament. And so it's easy to hide behind a label of, I'm a Christian, or I go to church, or, oh, I own a Bible, right? It's on my shelf, right? Or I downloaded the Bible app, and I read the verse of the day, and I got my streaks going. It's high, those are great things. But it's easy to hide behind that and not be led by the word of God, led by his revelation, anticipating, God, what are you doing today? For many, we have the title, but we are famished. The writer of Hebrews warns the church in Hebrews 5.12. He said, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word. There's that phrase again, God's word, all over again. You need milk, not solid food. In this context, the followers of Christ are not growing because they are not applying the word of God. You need ears to hear, but you need a heart to obey. Peter warns in 1 Peter 4.11, he says, if anyone speaks... They should do so as one who speaks, here it is, the very words of God. Our words that come out of our mouth, the thoughts, the way that we see life, it needs to be completely from the source of being in the presence of God. There are too many opinions about God. There are too many people spouting off what they think. But listen, what the world deeply needs is a church that is just swimming in the word of God. It's just coming out. It's something that we're not ashamed. It's something we don't have to think about talking about. We are just talking about it. So will we be found faithful? Will you be found faithful? I want to spend the rest of our time looking at a couple areas of what happens when we choose not to be faithful. Now listen, every single one of us has failed at being perfect stewards of the word of God. I have failed at it, we all have. And this is what happens. When we are not faithful with what we are entrusted with, it's natural human tendency to do two things. Number one is to pass the blame, and then secondly, it's to reframe. You pass the blame and then you reframe the narrative to show you it's not your fault or that there's a different way. So let's take a look at the first one. When you're not faithful, you will shift blame. So we see here the Jewish continued their, uh, hypo, uh, their hypothetical questions. And so they're saying, so if the Jewish people had an advantage, okay, you're saying we have an advantage. Verse three, so what if some were unfaithful then? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? So what they're asking is this. They're like, okay, 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 listen, okay. We get that we are at an advantage. But let's just say, um, what if some, not me, of course, no way, I'm asking for a friend, but what if some people, them, their fault, what if they did something wrong? 
but they're God's chosen people. Like, does that make God unfaithful? I mean, surely if, if God is so powerful, uh, he, you'd think his people would be in check. I mean, we hear this today, right? You know, people point fingers at the church like, oh, the churches have those people in there. and That's why I don't follow God. It's because the people, we've heard that, we've thought that, right? And this is what the question's all about. So the questioner doesn't take the personal responsibility of their unfaithfulness in question. And when we're called out and we realize we've done something wrong, we will too tend to immediately shift blame first to others, them, they did it, and then eventually to God. In fact, uh, our blame, uh, often uh, we want to exempt ourselves from, um, uh, we want to exempt ourselves, we want to point the blame somewhere else. Uh, but we have to think about this. When someone says something to you and, and then your, your immediate reaction isn't to take ownership of it, it's to say, okay, no, it's their fault, it's God's fault or whatever. But listen, I just want to put up a, a progression here is that when we realize we did something wrong, initially we feel bad about it. That's blaming ourselves. But then we want to shift the blame to maybe a stranger. Oh, it's their fault. Or typically speaking, loved ones, all right? Loved ones, whether it be your siblings, whether it be your parents or your spouses, right? How easy is it to just let that thing bounce right out of you and say, oh, yeah, well, you did this, right? But then, you know, eventually we moved on to loved ones and we want a big group of people to pay. So maybe it's at your job, maybe. Yeah, what happens in the Christian context is often we blame the church. And you hear this phrase, oh, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church, right? Well, he calls the church his brides. Be careful, don't call Christ's bride names. He doesn't like that, right? But eventually we stop blaming the church. We eventually just end up blaming God. And this is what the enemy wants to do to our hearts. He doesn't want us to take ownership of what we did so we can be right with God. He wants us to blame others so that we never get right in this area of our life. And eventually the end game is he wants you to blame God and be disconnected from God. Be aware of this progression. We shift blame and attempt to dodge responsibility for our words or actions. It is not human tendency to lift people up. It's not. Uh, we, we, can, we can grow to where we push ourselves to do that, but it's our tendency to lift ourselves up. And oftentimes in culture, the way to lift yourself up quickest is tearing somebody else down. You have to have a fall guy. And what Paul is saying is enough of the blame shifting and start taking personal responsibility uh, for your actions. So if you're a follower of Christ, you have been entrusted. You've been entrusted with the word of God. Stop blaming others when something doesn't go right. Take the personal responsibility and receive the grace and forgiveness of Christ. Start taking responsibility in your job. Quit blaming somebody else. Start taking responsibility in your marriage. Start taking responsibility in your purity or in your singleness or, or wherever, fill in the blank. Paul's response to is God unfaithful when other people are unfaithful. He's like, no, God is faithful even when we're unfaithful. We see this in verse four, not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar as it's written so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. God is faithful even when we're unfaithful. And listen, I, want, I don't wanna just focus on, oh, we're just cruddy, you know? No, this is what I want. This is the beautiful thing of this promise is that because God remains faithful, which means this, when we, when we realize we've been unfaithful in an area, guess what? He is faithful to forgive. His promises are not nullified because of our actions. See, the religious, they want to shift blame and they don't want to take responsibility. But you know another way that we shift blame is sometimes shifting blame to nothing at all. To deny that what's going on isn't a big deal. 
right? You might not be shifting blame to somebody, but you're still taking blame off yourself. So that means you're, you're shifting blame. But we often do is like, you know, I don't want anybody being the fall guy. So I'm just going to say, hey, Paul, is that really a big deal? Like if we're, not in, if we're not people of the word of God and we're entrusted with that, is that really a big deal? Verse five. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's, if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing wrath on us? That's their question. They're saying, look, if God is loving us even more because we're doing some really bad stuff, aren't we helping him? I love what Paul says in parentheses. I'm using a human argument. Verse six, his response, certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? So one might argue, well, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result? Their condemnation is just. So basically the person went from blaming others to saying, this is no big deal. And they try to sidestep the issue, saying this is not a big deal whatsoever and why are we even talking about this? So what you're saying is, is this is what the Jewish person is saying. They're saying, so what you're saying is, is that uh, we're not saved by our good deeds. We're saved by the grace of God, by undeserved favor. So if we are doing something wrong, doesn't his grace increase? We're helping him out. We're making him an even better God. And Paul's response is, that's human thinking. Paul's response is, that's slanderous. Paul's response is, your condemnation is just. It is twisted thinking. Paul's response to this human argument is that's not an argument at all. To the contrary, we are entrusted with the word of God that contains the way of God, the will of God. And the question is, will we be found faithful with the word of God? Don't blame someone else or shift the blame like it's no big deal. When we're trusted with the things of God we, and we're not faithful, our natural position is gonna blame others or blame the church, blame God, or act like it's no big deal. But here's the deal. When we decide to shift blame, secondly, we'll begin to reframe our narrative and try to prove how good we are. So you'd be found faithful. Well, when you're not, uh, we'd shift blame. Secondly, you reframe the narrative. And this is what we see in Romans chapter three, verse nine. The narrative begins to be reframed. The question then is, what then? Are we any better off? Paul's response, not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. Now, this is an interesting question here because our first set of questions were from a hypothetical religious Jewish person. But notice he's now using the word we. So this is a hypothetical question from somebody in the church saying objection. They're saying, hey, Paul, I, we have really, really just harped on uh, the irreligious. We've harped on the religious, but we're the church, right? We're better off, aren't we, right? Paul's like, no, 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 no. We're all under sin. You see, it's our natural human disposition to compare ourselves. Oh, we're not like the unreligious people. Or, oh, I, we're not like that person. They're not, they're not a good enough Christian, right? And I'm gonna tell you this right now. If you are trying to gauge your growth in Christ by comparing somebody else, you aren't growing in Christ or it's being stunted. To gauge your growth, you look at God. You see, about a decade ago, a survey was sent out randomly, and they asked people to grade their goodness on a scale of one to 10. I mean, if you got a survey and they said, hey, how good are you, scale of one to 10, what would you grade yourself? What would you, right? Just think about that. What, what would be that magic number? Well, you wanna know what the average number was for the respondents? It was a seven. The majority of people thought they were above average. 
Now, again, they're comparing themselves to what they think of other people, right? That's their, that, that's their, that's their ruler of measurement, right? And so if a majority of people think they're better than average and they're judging each other about that, that means that people are, well, they're fooled about how good they are. In fact, the psychologists, they call this phenomenon the illusionary superiority. Uh, we have the natural disposition to think that we are superior than maybe another group of people or that we're superior than another person or that, or that we are better, we are, we, we are good. Why? Because we have the right ideas, because we live life the right way, because, well, we're just so learned and now I, I know these things so, so well. And as a consequence, we are quick to judge people and we declare their inner intentions like we can see their heart. And when somebody wrongs us or we disagree with them, this is what's popular in culture today, we cancel them, right? Uh, you know what? I'm not hanging out with them anymore. Um, I'm throwing away all their movies or their books. You know, I'm canceling them. And I got a warning. And that's the way that we're going to go about our Christianity. I'm going to tell you this right now. You may be canceling people right now, but somebody, whether it be a month, whether it be a year, or whether it be you dead in the ground and you're 30 years later, somebody's going to cancel you. You see, by the same standard of measurement we place on somebody else, it will be placed on you. That's biblical. Today, we try to protect our narrative that we are a good person and that we got it all figured out and that all we need is our humanistic self. This is manifested by a number of ideas or isms. Uh, these are worldviews. A worldview is how we see the world, how we process information, and how we make decisions. We all have a worldview. The question is, what is it? Now, uh, a secular worldviews are oftentimes uh, expressed in politics or expressed in philosophy. In fact, Tim Keller just recently put this uh, chart up on different worldviews. On one side, you have libertarianism. Uh, libertarianism is a ism that, that uh, states that uh, you are, have individual responsibility to make good and bad decisions. And everybody should have the, the freedom to make good or bad decisions. And so this ism believes, some believe in no laws. Some want very little laws, all right? And then there's other things in the middle there. And then at the very end of the spectrum, on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have what's called Marxism. And Marxism... Uh, denies that there is any individual evil. In fact, I'll quote Tim Keller. He says, any evil in Marxism is thought to have been instilled in us by society or by social systems or forces. So any pathology, that is poverty, crime, violence, or abuse, is not due to an individual uh, responsibility, but is a wrong social policy. And so one end of the spectrum, libertarianism, believes uh, uh, that we have the, the freedom to do whatever, uh, good or bad or whatever. And the other end is it's, you don't have any personal responsibility. It's a collective responsibility. And whereas libertarianism, I believe, is flawed, it's libertarianism flawed because it, it, it ignores the fact that we are deeply corrupt, as we've seen in chapters one and two of Romans, uh, we have a deep sin problem, where libertarianism can be flawed because no system's perfect, right? I believe that Marxism is fatal. Marxism denies the very responsibility that we have before God. And so today there's a lot of isms that are uh, espousing Marxism, and we have to be very aware of that because it is anti-God. As Christians, we look at things completely different, though. We don't look at it from a political or philosophical worldview. We look at it first from a biblical worldview. This is our authority. Church, we have to remember that. Listen, we don't 
go through the prism of a ism of the world or a philosophy of the world, then come to scripture. We read scripture and we let that guide us in how we see the world. We must, if we are going to be a church that is going to be, that, that is going to be faithful to God, if we're going to be a church that moves forward, and listen, I believe that we have the heart to move forward in this church, we must be people that are guarded, that are guided, that are illuminated through the word of Jesus Christ, period. And that needs to guide us and how we see the world. Too many people are worshiping the philosophies of the world. And I say this, if there's something that's kept me up at night in these last four months, I've seen the church do it. I'm not saying Emmanuel. I've seen Christendom in the West begin to worship things or believe that somehow they can make an utopia on this earth. And what I want to say is we should we should. We want the goodness of God on this earth, but we got to remember this earth is perishing. We serve a mighty God who is going to bring heaven under earth and we are to be agents of heaven on earth. And listen, when Jesus Christ comes, there will be no more tears. There'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more death. But we have to remember who we are. We are to be Bible Christians. So the book of Romans charges that both Jews and Greeks, that means everyone, anyone and everyone, are under sin. And here is why. Verse 10, as it is written, whenever you see that phrase, as it's written, that means he's quoting another scripture. Verse 10, as it is written, there's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. Paul is quoting Psalm 14.1, and this is a big nuclear bomb because it's saying we are not righteous in ourselves. Righteousness is a major theme in the book of Romans. In fact, that word alone is used over 30 times. It means to be made right before God. What we are attempting to do without God is we're trying to prove ourselves right. It's work, it's work, it's work, it's work, and we never find satisfaction. We, we never find the solution to all the goodness that we're trying to do in this world. We can never prove ourselves good in and ourselves before God. We need a rescue. And this is what Paul is, is telling us, is that we are not good in ourselves. No matter how hard we try to dress it up, without Jesus, we are not right before God. We need something more than ourselves or our collectiveness of human beings. We need a rescue from out of this world. And we are personally responsible to make sure that we are placing our faith and trust in Jesus. When I was first dating uh, Allison, I wanted to do impress her. <laughs> you know, and so... The way that I was going to impress her, I have no clue why I was attempting to do this because I'm not a cook. I wanted to cook her some brownies because she liked brownies, all right? In fact, if you've been to our house and, uh, you know, if you've ever been to Open Door or whatever, like she likes to make her brownies, right? So I'm like, I'm going to make some brownies. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to show her that, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to speak her love language of brownies, all right? And so, so I began to cook these brownies from a box, <laughs> you know, uh, and uh, I put them in the oven and I realized when I pulled them out, because again, I didn't leave enough time between that and when she's coming over. So that all ties in. Okay. All right. Uh, but uh, I pulled them out and they were like <laughs> as hard as a rock. I tried biting into one. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm going to chip a tooth. But I realized she was well on her way and there was no way I can make another batch before she got there. So I said, okay, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Ah, I have a double dose of frosting. All right. So I got out the Betty Crocker frosting and I just kept on heaping on that frosting onto the burnt brownies. I just put so much. I put, I bet I put another six inches on those brownies. They looked really, really 
good. I think you were impressed when you first saw them. But here's the deal. When I started cutting them, and it was like a jackhammer. It was like, you know, just trying to cut all these brownies. It just wouldn't work, right? When I, started, when I cut these brownies, I put it on a plate for her, and it sounded like I just put on just this huge rock on a plate, right? And she picks up the brownie, and she begins to eat it, and she's like struggling to eat it. But then she's like kind of chewing it really hard. But she had that nice little polite smile. I thought, oh, the frosting worked. You know what she admitted to me like right after we got engaged? Hey, you know those brownies you made me to impress me? I'm like, yeah, yeah. They were terrible. (laughs) Here's the deal. I thought that I could put frosting all over those brownies and it'd make it good. But you know what? That's exactly what it's like when we try to go through life and we try to prove ourselves or we try to find a philosophy that'll work to make ourselves look good is we heap a bunch of frosting on a big problem and it doesn't change it. We need an internal change. We need an internal change, and it's Jesus Christ. He is our change. And listen, we can't fix what's broken, and we're going to unpack clearly next week how to be made right with God, but I want us to understand just how big of a problem, and you can't put frosting on this. He says, there is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. Now, wait a minute. Did Paul just say that nobody seeks God? I've been agreeing with everything he's been saying this morning. But he just said, I don't seek God. I disagree with him. Listen, I believe the Bible, but but maybe verse 11 of Romans chapter 3, okay? I don't know about that, right? Because he, he, did he really say that we don't seek God? I know people who are insincere that are, that are seeking truth. But listen, you got to look at the whole passage. He's saying seeking with understanding. This is the beautiful thing, is that without the prompting of the Holy Spirit, there's no way we can understand what we're seeking. But the Holy Spirit removes the scales from our eyes and allows our ears to hear. You see, by ourselves, we won't wholeheartedly pursue God. We'll want something out of God. And we've all fallen into that trap where we're like, you know what, God, I'm going to pray to you, but you better give me what I'm saying to you. Or, you know, maybe sometimes we think that if we do certain things that God's going to give us X, Y, and Z. But you know what happens when those things don't happen? We begin to think that God's unfaithful and we stop pursuing him. You see, in ourselves, we want something out of God. But what God is trying to teach us and through his Holy Spirit is just pursue God for God. Jesus made clear in John 6, no one could come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I'll raise him up on the last day. John continues in 1 John four nineteen: we love because he first loved us. This is what this means. Some of you may be discouraged because you're like, I, I want to I be the initiator in my seeking. Is that? No, 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 this is the beautiful thing. When we wanted nothing to do with God, he was pursuing you. God's pursuing you this morning, whether you know him or not. If you're in this room this morning, I want you to know whether you come here a lot or this is your first time, guess what? You're not here on accident. God pursued you. Yes, the enemy is trying to prevent you to getting together. The enemy is trying to prevent you from watching online. The enemy is trying to prevent you from, from getting in the presence of God. That is his number one goal, to disconnect you from God. But God's pursuing you. He's pursuing you. Listen, this morning, if you are not about Jesus, but like your heart's moving, like, man, what's going on in my heart this morning? Or, like, or, or you're listening, like, man, that's making sense about God. I want you to know that's because God is removing the scales from your eyes. He's pursuing you. If you're here this morning and you've known Jesus as Savior, but this morning you're realizing, man, there's, there's certain areas in my life that I have not been found faithful. There's certain areas in my life that are a mess. Listen, 
This isn't you coming up with that. God is revealing that to you. He's pursuing you. God is pursuing you. And listen, you can run God. You can run away from God, but you can never outrun God. You can never run away far enough to where God's like, okay, I'm tired. I'm going to quit pursuing you. No, he will pursue you, pursue you, pursue you. So let's strike when the iron's hot. Let's receive the pursuer. So Father, thank you so much that we can know the depths of the problems that we're in so we can know the heights of your love. But God, we've gone a whole new level this morning knowing that even when we're unfaithful, you remain faithful. Even when we are just kind of not even thinking of you or maybe pursuing you for the wrong reasons, you are pursuing us in your perfection. Thank you for pursuing us. As we continue to pray, I just want to speak to anybody here to where if you were to stand before God, if you were to stand before Jesus and he said, why should I let you into my kingdom? Why should I let you into heaven? Do you know what you'd say? Would you... Would you kind of struggle with your answer? Do you not know why that you would go to heaven? Listen, if you say, oh, it's because I think I'm good. Listen, we've already talked about that this morning. It's not about you being good. There's no religious work that can get us to heaven. So today I want to just speak to anybody here and anybody online. If, if you are uncertain you're going to heaven or you know you've never personally placed your faith and trust in Jesus. Nobody can do it for you. It's not about the family that you grew up in. It's not about the church that you've attended. If you've never personally placed your faith and trust in Jesus, today is your day. The Bible says today is the day of your salvation. He's pursuing you. And so this is what you need to understand and admit this morning. God created you to have a relationship with you. Your sins have separated you from Almighty God. There's nothing that you can do in and yourself to get back to Almighty God. There's no work. But Jesus paid it all. He went to the cross. God came to this earth as fully man, fully, uh, uh, fully God, fully man. He went to the cross, Jesus Christ. He took every single one of your sins and he paid for them all. And you know what? He rose from the dead. Some people wonder, well, why does the resurrection of the dead really matter? Because here's the deal. If Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, then he would not be who he says he is. You see, he was a perfect sacrifice, which means death could not keep him. Death is the result of sin. Jesus was sinless. That's the only reason, that's why he's the only person, the only God, the only thing that could take away our sins. You see, if Jesus went to the cross and he never resurrected, he would have went to the cross as an inspiration. But because he rose from the dead, he went to the cross and was salvation. And so our response is this. If you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus or you're uncertain of it, today is your day. Personally, place your full faith and trust in him alone. Let's do that right now. Father, I pray for anybody here that is that, that you're stirring in their heart that they need to be made right with you. That God, today is their day. That God, today they want to make sure that their sins are forgiven, that they want to personally place you. They want to place their faith in you as their savior. Lord Jesus, I just pray that those would cry out to you today. Say, Jesus, I need you. Step into my life. Be my savior. If that is you, 
If that's you this morning, you said, you know what? I need Jesus as my Savior. I need him to forgive me. I want to personally place my faith and trust in him alone today. If that's you, with every head's bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. If that's you, like, yes, today I'm making sure of it. Today I'm placing my faith and trust in Jesus. Raise a hand up high. The count of three. One, two, three. Raise them up high. Say, yes, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. Raise that hand up high. We've had people say yes today in this room. Anybody else? Let's pray together as one church. And today, if you raise your hand, I'm going to help you pray because this may be perhaps the first time you've prayed or the first time in a long time. But today, you're going to say, Jesus, I want you to step into my life. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for making me. I realize I've done wrong in my life. And I need your forgiveness. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you died on the cross, saving me from my sins. Thank you that you rose from the dead. I'm placing my full faith and trust in you alone and your forgiveness of my sins. Help me now follow you in Jesus' name. Let's continue in prayer here because God's not just pursuing those that didn't know him. And there are today people that passed from spiritual death into spiritual life pursuing you as a follower of Christ where in your life where in your life does God need to take ownership of is it your thoughts is it your future is it your mouth is it your lust what is it Some of the things we're going to talk about in the weeks to come is we've just been hearing word after word that God wants to do something special in his church, but one of the prerequisites is this. I don't want us to do this just so that we can experience something cool. He wants to do this because of who God is. But he wants repentance in his people. Where do we need to be made right with God? Continue to pray. just want to speak to those at home. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want you to ask that question wherever you're at, wherever you're watching. Where do you need to be right with God? Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Again, if you'd like more information on Emmanuel, check us out online at kenosha.church. Also, we'd love it if you connected with us on Facebook and Instagram, both at kenosha.church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to us on iTunes at Emmanuel Kenosha. That way you never have to miss an episode and it helps us out greatly. At Emmanuel, we are not a perfect people, but a people being made new. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next time on the Emmanuel Message Podcast.